Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to the podcast, Teach Me to Talk. I'm so excited that you've joined me today, and I hope that you've been listening to the series that we just finished up last week. And even if you haven't, go back and just listen to that last show because the information that we discussed last week is really important for what we'll be discussing today. So we just finished up this long series with the 11 skills toddlers must use or must master before those first words emerge. And then on last week's show, I talked a lot about the treatment hierarchy that I use for treating all children with language delays. And so if you haven't listened, go back and hear that show. All right, let's get going with a couple of announcements. I always kind of jump ahead of myself because I'm usually so excited about what we're talking about. Uh, Let me tell you about a really exciting upcoming conference that I'm speaking at. It's in Toronto on September 23rd. If you are Canadian or in the Northeast and want to drive, Check out that event. I'm so excited about it. It is in a beautiful venue, so I just can't wait to um, uh, have that opportunity. Speech Associates from Toronto is hosting that event, so that out, and you can find out that information at teachmetotalk.com. It's right there, the very first post. Other things that I wanted to mention, uh, be sure that you're taking a look at the website. I updated a lot. If you listened to that previous series, that 16-show podcast series, and have not taken a look at those written summaries, go back and look at that because that information is critical, especially if you're a therapist and you're trying to think, how do I word that when I talk to your parent about this? Or what do I say? How do I explain that? Sometimes just having that written summary there so that you can (laughs) – Use it for guidance or use it as your uh, notes when you're talking to parents. Uh, Hopefully that uh, my wording there and my explanations and discussions will help you. So even if you've listened to the shows, take a look at those written summaries because I know that you'll benefit from those. All right, so let's get back to today's topic. So last week I talked about my treatment hierarchy that I use. And again, why is this important? It helps us determine our priorities in treatment. And it makes sure that we are addressing the very first place or spot that a child's skills begin to break down. And in turn, that helps us do what I talk about all the time on this show, which is meeting a child where he is. We cannot start with most late talkers that we are providing intervention for. We don't start with the expressive piece or with saying, say this, or teaching them how to talk. For most of the children we see, the problem is actually at an earlier developmental level. So unless we are taking a comprehensive look at children, we may miss that. And so when we use an approach like this, it's really our safeguard against weeks or months of no progress, or it's a safeguard against setting an unrealistic goal or at least a short-term goal for a child. And that really can lead to frustration on everybody's part. And as a therapist who has succumbed to that very common mistake, (laughs) I can tell you it's just as frustrating for a therapist who is not achieving the kind of progress that they want to with any individual client as it might be for a parent. Now, sometimes parents don't really get that. I guess, you know, again, as a a mom myself, (laughs) we are all uber focused on our own children and we tend to be a little bit um, absorbed in just what's wrong with them. But, you know, again, the focus is, is just on that kid. And so sometimes we can lose sight as a parent that, gosh, that, that, SLP or that developmental therapist or whatever therapist it is who's seeing my kid, they're concerned about this plateau that we've reached or we're not able to get beyond whatever this current little hurdle is. So just know that if you're a mom or a dad and you're thinking, gosh, I'm just really feeling like we're wasting some time in therapy here because I'm not seeing any gains, have some frank discussions about that because 99% of the time that therapist may be feeling that same frustration as you are or it could be that the therapist is seeing things that you're not seeing maybe you're so focused on that 
expressive or talking piece that you expect the child to be conversational in one hour or less. <laughs> and that's unrealistic. And so the therapist could really have that talk with you and make you feel better about where your child is and say, you know, you know we're not hearing words, but let's look at all these great things that are happening and all these things that have to come in before words happen. And so, again, that kind of pep talk, it may not start out as a pep talk, <laughs> but it certainly can get us all on the same page. So have those conversations either way. If you're a parent looking to talk with a therapist about that or you're a therapist wanting, again, to share that information with parents on your caseload. So let's talk about what this treatment hierarchy is. I always start by looking at a child's social skills, then his cognitive and receptive language skills. And remember, those go hand in hand. You can't really understand what words mean if you don't have a solid foundation of developmentally appropriate cognitive skills, then the expressive piece, and then speech intelligibility. So go back and listen to that show if you're not exactly sure what those pieces mean. Because today what we're doing, and what I promised at the end of the last show that we would do, is we're going to take a common, a couple of common toys, and we're going to walk through how to use those toys and how working with those specific examples, how we can still work through this treatment hierarchy. Now, why is this important? Here's the gist of the show. It does not matter what activity you are using with the child. If you will follow this hierarchy, it will tell you and what your focus should be. So it will help you develop that intervention plan or your goals or outcomes, if you want to think about it like that. And again, this prevents us from getting caught up in that Big discussion that so many therapists and programs and agencies and uh, you know even kind of a national dialogue with when we're when we're working with toddlers with language delays should we be playing with toys or should we be solely focused on what a family already has and already does now a lot of times this question is really fueled and driven by people that really don't understand that it does not matter what you do, what, what the specific activity is, as long as you are looking at where a child is developmentally and, and meeting him where he is and then beginning to work toward your goal. And again, today's show will illustrate that so beautifully, this week's show and next week's show. Now, today we're going to be talking about a couple of toys, but on next week's show, we'll talk about some daily routines. And again, this will really prevent you from getting pulled into that whole toy bag or no toy bag debate <laughs> that a lot of therapists are still, you know, 10 years later, kind of still caught up in that same drama of, is it okay to take my own toy? Should I only play with what a family has? Should we play at all? Shouldn't we just be focused on what a mom and dad already do? Yada, yada, yada. It doesn't matter as long as you understand these, these, this framework, as long as you get, okay, it doesn't matter if, if we're playing, you know, with socks or if I'm, you know, helping a kid put his socks on or if we're playing with blocks, it does not matter. And so, again, I want to walk you through this today. Let me say also one more thing about this debate that we all have. So many times it is very easy if you are listening to the show just to think about everybody else listening to the show works in your same clinical setting. And clinical setting so often drives what we do with a child more so than anything else. And let's just think about that for a minute. If you are a birth to three SLP and you primarily practice in a state early intervention program, you are more than likely seeing children in a home setting. And so that naturally would drive you to think about, okay, my interventions need to be routine-based, meaning that I need to think about meals, I need to think about bath time, I need to think about dressing. But that's harder to do for a, a preschool SLP because, one, the parents aren't there. Hopefully that preschool SLP is still giving recommendations to parents, but she's not going to focus on those uh, daily routines that they do at home because they're at school. They're looking at what goes on in that school day. Sometimes, uh, again, a parent will be present in a clinical setting, and you're certainly going to share, hey, these are our ideas for meals, and you may even do a kind of a snack in your uh, office there or wherever you practice. But again, so much of what we do tends to be based on where we see a kid. And so don't get caught up in that. And more importantly, don't get caught up in being judgmental 
of other therapists who say, well, this is the only way to do it, or experts say you have to do it this way. So many times that really is still driven by what your treatment setting is. And most of the time, we can't really control that. We work where we work. And so, again, I wanted to just kind of get that in there. I get emails every single day from therapists across the spectrum, whether they are school-based, therapists in private practice who are in offices. I get emails from ABA therapists who are looking for more naturalistic ideas for toddlers. And, again, they could see be seeing kids in a clinical setting or a school or at home. I get emails from teachers from grandparents and so again I want us to be on this show to discuss ideas that are applicable everywhere and so there's lots and lots of room for us to discuss all of these different uh, recommendations and approaches and here's the truth if you're a therapist you may even cover all of those settings in your one job and so there's a really wide variety of scenarios and situations and we do have to have ideas for all of those different um, situations that we may find ourselves in as we are treating toddlers because we don't all work in the same kinds of places so I wanted to be sure to talk about that now my best answer is for all of this when somebody will say you know do you only, you know, how do you justify still bringing a toy bag? Or or what do I say to my agency, my boss, who says I can't play with kids anymore that has to be totally driven by what mom or dad already do? I feel like we need all of these things, and, and we need to talk to not only parents about these things, but our supervisors and our, our bosses so that they understand. Kids learn language all day, every day. It doesn't matter if they're in the bathtub or if they're in your therapy room. <laughs> so we have to be putting all of our recommendations in the context of play and in daily routines or even in these more contrived therapy situations. And some of us are in situations where we have these beautiful therapy gyms, and so we're swinging children and we're in ball pits and we're on the slide, you know, even on a playground setting. So, again, we have to have all of these different ideas so that we can address what's going on with a child or what a parent's needs are no matter where that kid happens to be. And let me also say one more thing before I get off this little soapbox here. <laughs> I think play is so important for every single child and so many toddlers that we work with with language delays don't get that opportunity. So anytime that I'm meeting with a family, when I get a sense that this child gets very limited or none, sometimes no one-on-one -on -one playtime with an adult, no consistent, regular playtime, that's where I focus. And I talk a lot with moms and dads about, hey, we're down on the floor here. We, this is how you do it. This is how it looks. And I'm always really careful to say, hey, no matter what toy we're using, these are our big ideas. So you can go home, and even if you don't have this specific toy that we're playing with right now, I still want you to be able to use these ideas and carry these over. So that's what we're going to do today in the next week's show. We're, today we're looking at a couple of common toys, and the next week we'll look at a couple of familiar daily activities, and we're going to walk through that treatment hierarchy. Remember I, I told you that social and then the cognitive perceptive piece, the expressive piece, and then finally speech intelligibility, and we'll walk through these specific toys so that you can see exactly how to do that. And again, the distinction is you, you want to be sure that parents understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, and so that they don't think, you know, this, this goal or this outcome or this strategy is just limited to this particular toy. And therapists will get locked into this too, and they'll say things to me, gosh, this happens a lot when I'm teaching a course live. They'll kind of, somebody will kind of come up to me during a break or, you know, follow me in the restroom, and they'll say, now, when I play with bubbles, I work on this, and then when I play with blocks, we work on this, and then when we're doing cars, we work on this, and I love that it doesn't matter if it's my car or the kid's car. You know, they kind of have that whole thing, but they still have not really grasped. We work on whatever skill it is, and we're consistent about working on that skill no matter what our activity or toy is and so instead of just kind of continuing to <laughs> talk about this or discuss that in that overall framework let's take a toy and let's walk through that treatment hierarchy so that you understand exactly what I'm talking about let's talk let's just take bubbles all right I like bubbles I think they're super fun 
for a wide uh, age range with children. Uh, they're cheap. <laughs> Most families have them, and even if they don't, if you've played with bubbles one time with their kid, the next time you go back and see them, mom has picked up some bubbles at the dollar store or the grocery store or wherever she's been. So, Again, I like bubbles, too, because they feel so novel every single time we use them, and it's a super fun activity. Unless you just warn a kid out on it, which can happen, too, but that's a whole other problem we're not going to address today. So let's talk about how we can use this treatment hierarchy that we've we've discussed last week and then reviewed a little bit today, and we're going to look at how we can meet a kid where he is in this developmental hierarchy and be sure that we are addressing exactly what a kid needs. Now, so many times a parent will say, well, you know, my kid's not talking, and this is speech therapy after all, so our single goal here with these bubbles is just a what? They think your only goal is get him to say bubble, do or die, and that's our only measure of success. And as I say on this show all the time, there's so much that has to happen before we hear that word. So how can we do this differently? How do we know that we are really covering all of those prerequisite skills that have to come first? So we look at that hierarchy, and this is how we fit in every single, no matter what we're doing, no matter what toy we're using, no matter what daily routine we're doing, we, we use the same hierarchy. So let's do this with bubbles. So first we're going to start with social skills. So what would our goal be? What are the things that we can focus on with a kid who's struggling with social skill development, even with bubbles? So first of all, does he stay with you? Does he try to leave? Does he walk away? Does he try to connect with you and engage with you as you're playing those bubbles with them? How can we measure that? How do we know that? Well, is he looking at you? Is there eye contact? Is there joint attention? And by that, I mean shared attention or shifting attention. Does he look at the bubbles and then does he look back at your face and then does he look back at the bubbles again? Or does he ignore one of those important components? Does he stay fixated on that darn bubble wand, <laughs> which a lot of our little friends will do, and kind of forget that you're there? Or does he demonstrate that nice sharing of attention? Will he take some turns with the bubbles, or is he just super focused on, on just what he's looking at? Does he realize that you're there? Does he, again, ignore you once you've blown it? Does that kind of, you know, blown the bubbles? Does he kind of forget that you're even there? How, when the bubbles are all gone, what does he do next? Does he move on to something else, or does he know how to initiate that new turn? And again, here, even looking at you like, hey, aren't you going to blow more bubbles? Even if he can't say it, that would count. So again, these are all social skills that a child has to master before we can expect him to understand even the word bubble or those other early vocabulary words that would be associated with this activity. And he certainly has to master these kinds of social skills before we expect him to say those words. So I hope that makes sense to you. So if a child is ignoring you during bubbles and he doesn't understand that he should try to pop the bubbles and he doesn't understand or, or get that you're the person blowing the bubbles and he needs to continue to interact with you and, and let you know in whatever way that he can that he wants to continue that game, again, there's no way you can get him to say bubble or pop or more or anything like that until we've mastered these social skills. And so as, as a therapist, you've got to talk to parents about that. And you, and you say, you walk them through that. You say things like, now, we know that he's not really ready to talk yet. It'll be great if we hear the word bubble today, but let's just be really, really clear that I'm really looking for a social skill, so I'm looking for eye contact. I'm looking for him to want to stay with me. I'm looking for him to try to pop the bubbles himself. And again, you're saying what all of these prerequisite goals are. Otherwise, a parent is confused. They're thinking, why is she not getting him to talk? Why is she not in his little face saying, you know, you have to tell me bubbles, say bubbles, tell me bubbles, bubble, bubble, bubble. They're confused when you're not doing that. So if he is imitating and if he is there and if he's ready to talk, sure, those things are effective. But if he's not, you have to explain to a parent that that expressive expectation or him really saying that word is probably premature at this point. And so you want to really be sure that parents get that. So let's talk for just a minute about these social skills. What can we do? specifically with bubbles, if a child isn't interacting or isn't including us 
Now, remember, as I've said over and over and over on this show, before we change a kid, who do we change first? We change ourselves first. So what are some things we can do? So if he's not looking at us, do everything you can to get yourself in his line of vision. I think I've already said this, but you're going to make yourself super fun to listen to, which means that you don't sound monotone. You don't say, bubble, pop the bubbles. Look, there's a bubble. Don't don't do that. <laughs> make yourself animated you'll say things like whoa bubbles look bubbles and again that higher pitched um prosody you know your higher pitch there your prosody where your rhythm you're you're talking in um not a monotone you've got some variance in your voice there those are all reasons for a child to look at you and reasons for him to include you. You have to be a lot more exciting than the wall or the ceiling fan or the window. You've got to give him a reason, again, to make you a part of that activity. Now, if you'll think back to our previous series that we've just finished, that 11 skills that a toddler must use before words emerge, we covered these ideas. So if you need to go back and listen to really specific things like how you change yourself, go back and listen to shows number 278 and 279. And remember we were talking about then helping a child learn how to respond to environmental events and then how to respond to people. And those are the ways, the specific ideas. So it's very tempting in every show for me to just to go back and kind of rehash all of that information, but that gets awfully repetitive. <laughs> and I know for those of you who are kind of thinking, I already know that, let's move on. Let's do that. But if you need more of that, that review, those specific ideas, go back and listen to those shows so it'll teach you exactly how to do it. And remember, those were shows 278 and 279. All right, so let's move on. Let's say that we see with bubbles, or we already know from our previous experience with this child, that he has no issues with social interaction. He is smiling. He is laughing. He is having the time of his life with you with these bubbles. He's staying with you, and you are not having to work too hard to get him to demonstrate that he likes this play routine and he wants to continue with you and so you can kind of check off social skills in this hierarchy you can kind of know hey he's ready to move on what do we look at next remember social comes first and then comes what it's cognition and closely tied with receptive language so if you've listened to the show for any length of time or if you've heard me speak live or taken one of my courses on dvd you've probably heard me say this but i'll say it again to really etch it in your memory here the very best way to assess a child's cognition is to look at what? It's to look at how he plays, so his play skills. What is he doing? So let's think about this for bubbles. And, again, we're measuring his cognitive development. What would this mean? This basically means does he understand how to play with? Is he purposeful as he plays? Does he get the sequence? Does he know? Okay, she blows the bubbles, and she here can be – you or mom or dad or sister or whoever's there, does he look at the person blowing the bubbles? Does he watch the bubbles? Does he try to pop the bubble? Does he in some way kind of celebrate or acknowledge, hey, that's pretty cool? And then does he initiate how to do it again? That's the, or, or to do it again. That's the play routine. That's the sequence. And guys, that's the foundation of cognition, knowing what comes next, remembering what happens when we play? It's not like starting over every single time. There's some glimmer that the child understands, hey, I know how to do this. I know what's expected of me here. I can participate. And not only that, let's do it again. So those are the things that we would be looking at when we are um, assessing kind of where he is cognitively. So what do you do if he's not there yet? Well, you figure out <laughs> what he doesn't know how to do in that routine. And you address it. If there's an attention problem, meaning he can't seem to stay with you for very long, you tackle that attention problem. Now, we covered some ideas for developing an attention span back in show number 280. And so go back and listen to that show for specific ideas with how to help a toddler, so a, a young child, a toddler or a preschooler, really learn how to pay attention to you. And, again, a lot of times it's changing the things that you do First, so that you set a better stage for him, so that it's more likely that he will pay attention and stay with you. So go back and listen to that show. If you decide, hey, it's not really attention because he is so focused on these bubbles, 
but it's really that he doesn't know how to include me too. That's joint attention. And we spent a whole hour talking about that back in show number 281 where we were, you know, going through that sequence with those 11 skills toddlers have to achieve before they begin to talk. Joint attention is huge. So go back and listen to that show for those specifics. If you decide, hey, it's not, that's not it. It's just he doesn't know how to play. He doesn't, he, maybe he's never seen bubbles before. Maybe there's some kind of motor um, challenge here. What do you do? You model, model, model. What does that mean? If you're a parent, you might not have ever heard that word before, model. What does that mean? It means you show him how to play. You show him how to, what you're going to do. You will dramatically blow those bubbles, and then you will pop the bubbles yourself, and then you'll initiate that next turn. Now, a lot of therapists, and parents will do this too. They'll think, gosh, I really need to teach him how to blow. Maybe if he can move his mouth better, he'll talk better. I really don't focus on that. Some kids will want to try to learn how to blow the bubbles themselves. And if that's the case, you know, go ahead, do that, let them. But you'll not want to stop the flow. <laughs> and here's another thing. You don't really want to get caught up in all those power struggles with, you know, does he hold the wand or do I hold the wand? For some children, you'll need to make sure that you have a bubble wand for them and a bubble wand for you so that that doesn't become a power struggle. But some kids will leave you out if they have a wand too. And it really is so individualized. You'll have to decide what works best for each particular child. So, if this is a play problem, meaning they don't really understand what to do, go back and listen to the shows about how to develop those early play skills. Those were shows number 282 and 283. Now, in that show, I talked about, or the last, especially, uh, I don't really remember if it was 282 or 283, but we talked about the technique called deconstruction. That means that we learned the last part of play first. So for bubbles, what would that be? It's pretty simple. You pop the bubble. <laughs> it probably would be that you learn to take the next turn, but you got to learn how to pop the bubble so the next turn can come about. For other toys, this will be a lot more complex with what the last step would be, and then you backward chain. You work on the last step, and then you work on the step that comes before the last step, and then the step before that till you get all the way back to the beginning of the play routine. But deconstruction is first. And again, if you have a kid who's having difficulty learning how to play, no matter what the toy is, that's a really simple and so effective strategy for you to use is just think, well, I'm going to let him do the last part first, or I'm going to let him take it apart first so that he understands, you know, that very last piece of this, that very, what, what comes, what comes last, or how do we disassemble this? And again, bubbles may not have been the best example for that, but I wanted to remind you of that really, really important strategy that we can use as therapists who focus on toddlers. All right, so for a kid who does get that play piece, and again, popping bubbles is pretty darn simple. Most children that we see, no matter how significant their issues are, will be able to pop the bubbles and will like that and we will be able to do that in some way. So we'll know that our cognitive piece is moving along. So then we start to look at what? We look at receptive language. Now, what does receptive language mean? It means how do they understand here? might have heard this referenced as auditory comprehension or language comprehension. What is he receiving? What is he understanding? How is he processing this? So what do you look at? Well, how does he follow little commands in play? If you say something like, oh, look at that bubble, pop it, pop it, does he try to do that? Does he understand that? Or you may look on, uh, look at uh, advancing beyond that. You get some directions like, let's stomp the bubbles or let's kick the bubbles or let's clap the bubbles, anything like that. So you can work on all kinds of receptive language targets or following simple to more complex directions in an activity like bubbles. You could look at um, the examples that I gave you were understanding a variety of action words there. So when we said things like kick and clap, uh, you could even do this with body parts, which is something I like to do a lot. So we could say, you know, pop the bubble with your finger or, oh, it landed on your knee or, oh, pop with our elbows. So anything, you can make it as simple or as complex as what that child needs. So wherever he's functioning, however, whatever he needs to work on, 
think about that. Let's look at some other kinds of words that we can focus on receptively with children. And again, we it goes without saying that our common words here would be, you know, bubble, pop, uh, directional or location words. So if you'll think back to your English class when you were in school, these are our prepositions. So is the bubble up or down? You're teaching those early kinds of concepts. You know, as the you know, you'll blow the bubbles up high and say, "Oh, look, up, 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 up," and then you might say down, 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 down as they fall to the floor. So tons of language concepts that you can think think of uh, here to teach. And that's what our focus is going to be before we move on to having the child actually try to say the word. And we forget about that. And as speech language pathologists, again, we need to own that receptive language. Every parent and even go beyond that, every other professional who's working on that same team with you with a child, we need to carry that receptive language flag <laughs> and always remind other team members, ABA therapists especially, how important receptive language is because their training and their education and sometimes, well, their philosophy could be quite different than ours is about learning language, and they may only be focused on that expressive piece. So that's, that's a real distinction that SLPs bring to the table is talking about the importance of receptive language. So you're going to want to share that with everybody who's working with that child who's having uh, some difficulty understanding what words mean. Now, if you're thinking, gosh, that's a great idea, but I need some more um, resources to help me work on receptive language. Remember back, we spent a whole show on that in show number 285. I've also done a ton of writing about receptive language at teachmetotalk.com. So go back and just search there at teachmetotalk.com, my website, search receptive language or click on that receptive language category so that you can get yourself some other ideas. I cannot overemphasize how important receptive language is. Kids have to understand words before they can say words. So be sure that you're looking at that and, and talking with parents about it as you're playing. And so you might say to mom, okay, now, your little girl, remember, she's, I just, I think we have some ground to cover here before we're going to hear her talk. So today, let's be sure that we're really focused on how she understands words. Let's see if we can point out when we know that she's understanding our words. Let's see how many different commands we can get her to follow. Or you may say something like, look, I know that she understands these really basic words like, blow and bubble and pop but but let's teach her some new concepts today Let, let's help her understand things that are a little bit more difficult and you talk about building the foundation for language and you use those words and you talk about you know not only is she delayed in how she talks or her expressive skills but there are also some gaps in how she's understanding when we compare her to other children her own age and we've got to get that built up first and so you really again talk with mom and dad about why that's important and then you use whatever your activity working you're working with them on to illustrate it so again you go back and talk about following these simple directions and how important that is for language development and you may you know that may lead you to a, a nice discussion about you know mom and dad think oh this is just behavior this little girl is just being stubborn and not wanting to play and you can say mom or dad that that's not it I don't think she understands what we're saying to her and she has to really be able to process and understand words before we can realistically expect her to say those words. And so it will give you a nice opportunity, again, to address what a parent may not understand yet. So use these opportunities. And, again, it doesn't matter what activity you're using. You can do this consistently, you know, no matter what it is that the child is doing with you. All right, so let's keep moving through this hierarchy. First, we did social skills, and then we did receptive language skills. What happens next? It's the expressive piece. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, finally, 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 we get to talking. Not so fast. <laughs> For some kids, there's still some prerequisites that we have to cover here with expressive Skill development. So if he's not ready to talk yet, but, you're, but his social skills are solid and his receptive language skills are where they need to be, what are some things that would come before words? Well, we could teach a child how to really imitate our actions or simple gestures. Now, actions are pretty easy here. 
because that would be popping the bubble. And again, I gave you some examples during the receptive language category where if you are smacking the bubble on the floor with your open hand, that looks quite different than popping the bubble with your index finger as it's in the air. And so after you've modeled that new way to pop a bubble, if a kid starts to imitate you, you know, hey, he's got that. He gets that basic premise of imitation and, and building imitation is so important for every single late talker that we work with. So let's say that he's doing that. Then what do you move on to? You move on to teaching him some simple gestures because gestures are a really important piece with expressive skill development. So what might that be? That might be when you blow the bubbles, you do a really exaggerated point. So you are pointing to the bubble and saying, look, look. Or you'll say something like, show me the Bible. Where's the Bible? And again, you are doing that to elicit that pointing, which can be really, really hard for a lot of kids to work on. Or they might use a point to request a new term. You might say, show me what you want instead of tell me what you want. And so your goal here is to help a kid learn how to point, learn how to point to tell people what he needs or what he wants. Clapping would be an early gesture or kind of back in that um, action imitation phase. But just to see if a kid will imitate you as you clap. You know, you've blown the bubbles, you've popped them, and then you're going to clap and say, yay. You'll see if a kid over several times of you demonstrating that begins to clap too. Those are such important skills. And, guys, there's so many options here. So look at that. If a kid is you know, at that point where he's ready to work on talking but for whatever reason his little words just aren't coming yet that's what you do you back up to actions you back up to gestures you see what you can get there let's say that you you're working with a sweet little girl who's using some of these gestures pretty easily you know what she's ready to sign she's letting you know developmentally hey i know how to communicate a message with my body my mouth may not be doing it yet but boy i can tell you what i want by pointing by shaking my head, by doing all of those little emerging early gestures, that lets you know, hey, a kid is ready. So you'll start to teach some simple signs. It could be something to request that's really generic, like more or please, so that you can move on and use that in other activities. You may decide, hey, let's just teach these really specific signs here. So you might teach a really specific sign for bubble. And for bubbles, I just open and close my hands because I, I, that's really easy for most toddlers to do. But signing here would be that next logical step in expressive language development. And so if you need ideas here, we're working on teaching imitation at this earlier level if the kid's not quite ready to talk but she's mastered the social piece and she's mastered the receptive piece go back and listen to show 284 because we walked all through all kinds of ideas for that early imitation those things that we talked about here so let's say that you have a kid beyond that they're really ready uh, for words, but again, they're just kind of stuck. There needs to be sort of an in-between step. Those kids really need to learn what? They need to learn how to vocalize consistently. So for those kids, we may start with something that's simpler, just play sound. So just going, woo, or ah, or wow, those kinds of fun play sounds. You know, we call a lot of these words exclamatory words, so they're not necessarily functional words, but boy, do they serve a purpose. And so let's, let me give you some more examples with bubbles. Let's say there's, uh, you know, the bubble has landed on the couch, and you can see that there's a wet spot on the couch. You know, you may say, uh-oh, and really model that. Or you've turned the bubbles over, and they're about to spill. Or just any kind of thing. Use an exclamatory word there because something has happened that's unexpected. So you've gotten the toddler's attention that way, and then you want to give them – something realistic and something practical that they would have a much more um, or higher percentage of a chance of saying. So exclamatory words can really, really serve that purpose there. You may say something like, yuck, 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 you know, if the, the bubble liquid has landed on him. And so, again, he's not going to know to say these words automatically. You have to model those words for children. And so the focus for you during this activity is making sure that you say the right words so that you are saying more than, you know, I like the way we're popping bubbles. Look at us pop the bubbles with our hands, pop, 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 you know, so boring. <laughs> 
so much of that, uh, so much of the narration that we use that, yeah, you're saying the right words, but how you're saying it is just so unexciting for a toddler, and especially for a late-talking toddler who's probably having some difficulties for whatever reason staying with you, wanting to be with you, uh, and thinking that you are exciting enough to continue to listen to through this whole play routine. So the focus here is going to be on you modeling the right kind of words. So again, these real fun play sounds, you know, energetic words, words that and words that will be easier for him to say. And easier I mean from a complexity level or phonemic level for parents who are listening, that just means the different sounds. You know, ah or ooh would be a lot easier for a kid to say when he's popping bubbles rather than even the word bubble. It's just a simpler sound. It's just a vowel there versus that consonant-vowel, consonant-vowel combination that he would have for the word bubble. So if you need some ideas for that, go back and listen to show number 287 that we just did with helping a kid learn how to vocalize. And again, for some kids, they are so quiet just to get them to squeal during bubbles or make any kind of sound at all, you know, again, just to get them to uh, try to produce exhalation on request. So that blowing piece, and again, now remember blowing is not a necessary component for talking, but here we're thinking about just them imitating anything with their little uh, oral tract or vocal tract, however you want to think about it. Doing anything with their little mouths would be progress for a lot of children. So go back and listen to show number 287 for those early ideas to get a kid to vocalize. So what do you do then when a kid is popping out little words like, you know, hey or yay or ooh or, um, you know, even sort of trying to to imitate anything that you've said verbally, well, then you know you're really ready to move on to those real words. And so we've talked about what the go-to words with bubbles would be, you know, bubbles, pop, more, go, up, those kinds of words. Then and only then when a kid has shown us that he can vocalize during bubbles would we really, really work on him saying those words. So can you see, you know, I'm looking at the clock now. We've spent gosh, 40 minutes talking about all of the things that have to come first before we would get to this point. So can you see that if you had started this activity playing with bubbles, expecting a child to say bubble when he wasn't ready, how much time we might waste? And here's the kicker. We're not really working on what the real problem is anyway or what the core issue is. And so we're not going to see measurable progress, and we may spin our wheels here for a long time. So you have to really, really look at what the problem is and meet that kid at that just right level. So just for the sake of moving along, let's say that we, a kid has some basic vocabulary with bubbles. So what would you do? You work at vocabulary building. You work at making sure, hey, let's see how many different nouns, naming words can come up with this bubble activity. Wand or stick might be what you would say for um, the bubble wand. You know, you might get a some kind of uh, name for what your container is. I usually say jar or something like that. So you can teach a ton of nouns, you, you know, wherever you're blowing the bubbles, wherever they land, on the floor, the chair, um, on people, you know, on mama, that bubble's on mama, that bubble's on whatever the dog's name is or the brother's name, those kinds of things. Look at your verbs. I gave you some examples back in the receptive language section. Kick, um, clap. Uh, any, any kind of action, let's jump on the bubbles, let's sit on the bubbles, anything that you could do that would be a new action word. We've talked about prepositions or those location or direction words, you know, up and down, in and out. That could certainly be something that you are teaching as you are putting the bubble wand back into the container and then pulling it out. Descriptives, and don't get stuck on colors here, but talk about, you know, ooh, this is wet or yucky, or uh, if your bubbles have been hot or cold, you can certainly talk about those descriptive words. So teach that new vocabulary. Now, remember, some of you are probably thinking, well, what I would do is move on to phrases here. And sometimes <laughs> a mom will hear a kid say bubble and more. So what do they want their, their child to say? They try to immediately move on to phrases and get them to, to request the next bubble by saying more bubbles. So many kids aren't ready to do that yet. So we have to build that single word vocabulary and get some variety in there, get some depth before we move to phrases. All right, so we've talked about social skills and receptive skills. 
and cognition that kind of came before that with the play skills and then we've talked about expressive just for this last piece in the in the hierarchy here let's talk about speech intelligibility now I do not work on correcting speech sounds with toddlers or getting every sound in the right place, you know, right sounds in the right places until a child is using lots and lots and lots of language and is much closer to consistently and frequently talking or trying to talk. I just think it's unproductive when we have an 18-month-old or a 24-month-old or even a kid who's pretty close to three to work on intelligibility when we still have so much ground to cover language-wise, I will always prioritize language over speech. And, and language to me, if you're a parent, language to an SLP means the vocabulary or the words, and then speech means specifically how they say it or how, how well we understand it. You know, again, are they getting the right sounds in the right places? And, and a lot of times we refer to this as articulation. I don't work on artic for short with a kid until there's not much else left to work on. <laughs> so if we have a toddler who's a late talker, we may never get to artic. He's probably moved on to the big person SLP who's a school-age SLP before I would even tackle that with him, and that's okay. And we will have to talk to parents about that and explain that distinction and say, hey, we're always going to prioritize language over speech. I'm always more concerned about what he says than how he says it. But <laughs> here's the kicker. Sometimes we will have children who are missing entire classes of consonant sounds. And so we will want to pay a little bit of attention to this just so that we can get that sound class going so that the child has a bigger uh, phonetic or phonemic repertoire to pull from in order to talk. So let's say, and if you're a parent, you probably missed a lot of what that is. Don't worry about it. Let me just explain it in kind of common language here. Let's say that your kid does not ever use a sound with his lips. So saying a word like bubble might come out uh-uh. And so if we can do something to stimulate that new sound, he's going to be much more likely to be understood. And when he's understood better, that's fuel to talk more. Does that make sense? It's kind of a circle is how I kind of think about that. You know, he, he, we, give him, we give him a new skill, like a new sound class, and then all of a sudden we hear a lot more words because he's got more sounds in his bank to put with other sounds that he can use to make more words. So when we have a kid who's, let's say for something, let's say he's missing these lip sounds, and we call these bilabial, sounds that you make with both of your lips. So bi means two, and labial means lip. So Bs, Ps, and Ms, those are all those little bilabial sounds. What we would do here is tailor our target words in our activity to address that missing sound class. So we would think about bubble bye-bye, saying bye-bye to the bubbles. Let's do some P words. We would think about using pop and please. We would think about saying more for our M or mama more. Those kinds of things. That's how we would target speech intelligibility with a late-talking toddler. And again, tons of options here for target vocabulary words. Your biggest thing you're doing is giving a child exposure. He's, got, he's hearing that sound in that really specific isolated context over and over and over again. And he's got an opportunity to produce that sound, again, in that really specific context because of the activity that you've chosen. Another thing that would make working on bilabials here really optimal is because kids are already focused on their lips because of blowing for the bubble. So again, you'll just do that to highlight which articulator <laughs> or which part of his oral mechanism he's using to produce that specific sound. And I know for some of you parents, this is getting a little more technical than we usually do here on the podcast. But I want to point that out for speech pathologists because sometimes when we work on speech intelligibility, if we just change the activity a little bit to think what words would naturally occur, what activity can I do that would promote these sounds and, again, provide that exposure, so that auditory bombardment, what, what, what can I do here that would make this more likely for me to have to get lots and lots and lots of opportunities for mass practice for this target sound? So think about that. You could also do this for kids who, again, may be missing, uh, say, consonants, so those consonants at the end. And remember, that's not developmentally appropriate until the child is developmentally three. 
so 36 months. So for most of our kids in early intervention, they're not developmentally three until they're three and a half or maybe even four. So for some kids, we would never think about working on this or we wouldn't work on it until they were older. But sometimes we do have some kids who are pretty pulled together um, and, and who have achieved the, and I mean pulled together neurologically, and again, I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. We're just talking about where they are with their level of development. So their social skills are great. There are no cognitive or receptive language issues, and they're even doing fine with expressive skills. They are just coming to us because there's a big problem in speech intelligibility. So for those kinds of kids, working on final consonant deletion may be an appropriate goal because all of these other pieces are already in place. So I like working on final consonants with bubbles because you have a lot of, again, naturally occurring vocabulary associated in your pop up, down. So again, those final sounds, those ending sounds. So think about that too. Uh, and, and again, let me just highlight this. If you're a mom and you have a kid who's using a lot of unintelligible uh, speech, a lot of times that, that's jargon. And again, he's, you can think about it in terms of baby talk or gibberish or whatever you want to call it. That, that child doesn't have speech intelligibility issues. That really is more of a language issue. So it's, it's getting the right word. He knows he's supposed to talk. He just doesn't have the vocabulary. And a lot of times children who use a lot of jargon really have receptive language problems. So let your SLP help you tease that out. But my point is do not emphasize speech intelligibility until you have tackled <laughs> all of those other pieces and until you know that a child is moving along at every single phase of this hierarchy. We would not do it out of order. That would be like trying to build, put the roof on a house when you don't have a foundation or when you don't have the first floor. You have to think about it sequentially so that you don't miss anything and so that we're providing that solid, stable foundation for speech, language, and communication development. All right, so let's hurriedly move on and do just one more toy for just example's sake. So let's take this same, these same kinds of ideas and let's just use cars. And so again, Whatever vehicle that a little child already has, you know, little matchbox or Hot Wheels cars, what would we do for social skills? The same thing as bubbles, all right? So we're focused on what? How a kid includes us when we play with those cars. So is he looking at us when we're rolling the cars to him? Is he watching as we crash the cars or drive the car up the wall or do something novel? Is he including us in that kind of play? Is he is he shifting his attention, that joint attention piece? And again, do you see how it doesn't matter whether we have the bubbles or the cars? We're still focused on the same skills. So yeah, so look at that social piece, what that would look like with cars. Let's move on to cognition. What should we look at with cognition with a child? Cognition and receptive language. How does he play? Does he understand that he can sequence some different actions? Does he do a lot of different things with the car? Or is he just focused on laying down on his belly and watching the wheel spin? That's a problem <laughs> when we have children who do this. Or you'll try to get to do, want to do something different with the car, and the child's pretty possessive or obsessed about his little car and doesn't really want to let you play too. That's really a social skill. So can you see how it doesn't really matter what the toy is or, or even what toy the kid uses? If it's a problem with one toy, it's probably going to be a problem with another toy. That's the kind of kid who's just seeking visual stimulation, and he's got a social skill problem because he's not including you in play, and he's not interacting and engaged with you. And it could be a play skill problem, too, or a cognitive problem. He doesn't understand, hey, I can do lots of different things with this car. And so you have to model that. You have to show him those possibilities. Receptive language. So again, what words does he understand with this car? Will he follow some directions? Will he crash it? Will he roll it? Does he understand go and stop? You know, you can teach a ton of words receptively just by changing your toy too, but your basic premise is I'm helping this kid learn how to understand words so that eventually he can learn how to use words. Look at the expressive piece. What are some actions that he can imitate with the car? Remember, we wanted to imitate actions before he imitates sounds and words. So can you do some silly things with the car and him try to copy that? with you? Can you turn it over? Can you put the car on your head? Can you hide the car in your pocket? Those are actions that you might model for him to see if he will imitate you. 
can you do some of the gesture can you do some of the gestures that we talked about back with bubbles is he pointing to that car can you teach him the sign for car can you teach him the sign for go or the sign for stop fun little exclamatory words that you could use with the car there and then after that you move to your simple vocabulary then after he's gotten those basic words down what do you do you expand the vocabulary so can you see how we're taking the same strategies or the same skills that we were looking at building with bubbles and we're doing it with cars but we've just changed our material and we're, we're still working on those same basic pieces social skills cognitive skills receptive language skills expressive language skills with cars if we have a kid who's developmentally ready, we have a whole new set of speech targets because we can work on pharyngeal sounds or those for parents that those are sounds that are made in our throats. So our C sound is really the same as a K sound, which is how we write it in our phonetic alphabet. And so those K's and G's, so those throat sounds. Cars are so fun to work on that, but you can crash. And, you know, I like to say cool, you know, when I've done something really fun with a car there. So you can open up all kinds of options there for working on speech intelligibility. So do you see how all of this works, how we can take the basic hierarchy with looking at social skills, cognitive and receptive language, then expressive, then speech intelligibility, and it does not matter what toy or activity we're using, and it does not matter what a kid's specific diagnosis is, we're looking that kid from a whole kid perspective a comprehensive perspective and we're meeting him at where the breakdown is and so that's why it really doesn't matter what your activity is when you really own this hierarchy when you understand again it does not matter about that darn toy bag argument it does not matter if you're going to do routines based things or play with toys it doesn't matter if you work with him outside or in a closet it doesn't matter. You have mastered giving him what he needs, and you're working on that core issue that's the real reason that he's not talking. So you have to be able to do that with kids, and you also have to be able to explain it to parents so that they understand how to do it. So let me expand these ideas a little bit. If you need some more examples so that you can listen to me talk about this, or more importantly, so you can see how this works, let me give you some resources that teach me to talk. I've done Therapy Tip of the Week videos since 2012, so go back and watch some of those Therapy Tip of the Week videos because that's usually what I do. I take whatever toy it is and we walk through. This is how you work on a kid who's not socially engage with you and then we move on to helping a kid understand words and helping him learn how to play with a toy and then we move on to what our vocabulary targets would be for the expressive piece and a lot of times I'll even talk about those speech intelligibility goals so go back and watch some of those videos and think about it not with what toy is she using but what skills is she targeting what area is she working on and then think how can I use that with whatever toy this child is playing with in his living room or in his kitchen right now how can we work those same concepts in now on the summary the written summary the post of today's show at teachmetotalk.com I've linked some older therapy tip of the week videos and even some newer ones so you can go back and take a look at the variety of toys but remember as you watch that I don't want you to concentrate on the fish set or the puzzle or whatever the cool toy is I want you to think about this overall treatment hierarchy and I promise if you have not thought about that before it will completely revolutionize how you plan treatment activities for uh, children that you're working with if you are more of a reader than a watcher and that's your particular learning style and if you like directions step-by-step -step directions written out all of my therapy manuals do such a good job of explaining these kinds of concepts teach me to play with you has a whole chapter on how to get early play skills going and and really focus on the social piece of that building verbal imitation skills and toddlers focuses on uh, there's a whole set of handouts at the back where there are five or six toys and then five or six daily routines where we walk a kid particularly through that expressive piece teach me to talk the therapy manual is full of ideas like this so you're looking at whatever the goal is rather than looking at what your toy is so it's a nice way to think about it if you have gotten stuck thinking about it 
the other way where you're just focused on what the activity is or the routine is or the tool is rather than thinking about what your skill is. And you can find all of those resources there at today's uh, show post at teachmetotalk.com. All right, so next week we're going to walk through some common activities that we all do at home. And so using the same hierarchy, so I hope you'll join me for that show. Thanks so much and have a great week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.